we've been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. So if uh, you have a relationship with Jesus, then you have a story. You have a testimony. And I have a testimony. I gave my life to Jesus. I committed my life to Jesus when I was 16 years old. But that wasn't the end. That was the beginning. And there has been a process all along the way. And if you're paying attention, salvation is not just something that you affirm, accept, receive at some point in the past, and then you just go along your way. Um, it begins a process of drawing closer and closer to the Lord and becoming more and more like Him. And that process is a lifetime process, and it's filled with peaks and valleys. It's not uh, steady going, and all of us have been through challenges over the last several years. Uh, some of us personal challenges. All of us as a nation have been through challenges. In fact, the entire world has been through challenges. Um, we have been walking with the people of Israel through what I have been calling, and this isn't my designation, holy history. And that means that it is God's story. It is his story. God interacted and intervened in the history of Israel and gave them direction. And from them came the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. And that's how we get grafted into the olive tree of God's promises. That's how we come into the kingdom. Uh, we don't come in um, by virtue of our own goodness. We don't come in because we're naturally children of God. We have to be adopted into God. God's family, and that only happens through Jesus. Well, we have been following Israel, and last week we got to the point where they finally fulfilled the promise and entered the land that God 500 years previously had said, Abraham, your descendants will have this land. That didn't mean they didn't have to fight for it. Um, so they entered. God was in front of them last week. The message was very simple. Put God first. And that's what Israel had to do. Put God first. God went before them in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. God gave them that first city, Jericho. They uh, encircled it and seven days. The seventh day, they encircled it seven times, blew trumpets. The walls fell, and then they went in. They still had to fight. Um, God provided for them, but they still had to go in and fight. And that victory was wonderful, but then we had this problem with one of the Israelites uh, stealing from God, taking the spoil that was to belong to God, and that caused failure on the part of the, the entire Israelite community. Well, when they discovered who he was, they, you know, they, ex they executed him, and that's uh, difficult stuff, but we're dealing with uh, Old Covenant, and we're talking about a complete lack of tolerance for um, unfaithfulness and for stealing from God, as a matter of fact. Well, once they did what they were supposed to do, they gave all the spoil to the Lord, they went on fighting, and they had to fight their way all the way through the southern part of uh, what we now know today as Israel and the northern part of what we now know as Israel, and they took territory all through that land, uh, all the way between the Dead Sea or the... Um, the uh, 
the Dead Sea all the way down in the south and the sea, what we know as the Sea of Galilee up north and from the Jordan River all the way over to the Mediterranean. Then they took territory and then they divided that territory up by lots um, between all of the 12 tribes. And each of those 12 tribes received territory. The Levites, one of the 12 tribes, did not get an allotment uh, of uh, isolated territory. They got cities, 48 cities, within all of the other tribal territories because the, the Levites were the priests and they would be throughout the land. They didn't have an inheritance. In fact, God said, you don't have an inheritance. I am your inheritance. And so when the Israelites gave the tithe, they gave their, their sacrifices and their offerings, that's how the Levites were supported. And they were supported in these cities throughout the territory. And of course, they went to uh, Jerusalem once Jerusalem was taken and they served in the temple there, all right? So um, as we look at today's message, um, I want to give you several points from Israel's history and then give you some application for yourselves. Number one, I just covered Israel followed the Lord, fought and took possession of the promised land. God has territory for you. I said this two weeks ago. Um, you have boundaries, you have territory, you have a calling, you have a place but you have to place the soles of your feet on that territory and you have to take it not for yourself, but you have to take it for the Lord. You are his ambassador. You are his emissary. You are his representative. You may think that you are, you know, uh, doing your career, that you're, you're going through your life and uh, you're, you're, you know, completing all of these tasks and duties and so forth for yourself. But the reality is, if we understand the kingdom of God and we understand our relationship with him, we realize that everything that we do should be for him. That's worship. The title of the message today comes from uh, Joshua chapter 24, which we'll read in a moment. And uh, Joshua asked the people, um, choose you this day, or actually he didn't ask them, he told them, <laughs> choose you this day whom you will serve. That's the title. So, as I get into this today, who do you serve? Who do you worship? What do you serve? It's what you're doing right now with your thinking. It's what you do with your money. It's what you do with your time. It's who or what has your heart, right? So number two, prior to entering the land, Moses had warned them not to take credit for the wealth that they would gain, nor to turn away from the Lord. You see, this was the, the land of promise, the land that was uh, the land of milk and honey. And they were going to enter this land and they were going to receive these great promises. And this is what Moses warned them about. This is Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. This is going back to the time when Moses was alive and he was giving his final address to them and he anticipated that they were going to succeed. I believe that you will, and indeed you have, succeeded. What do you do with that success? To whom do you give the credit, right? Listen to what Moses said, um, verses 17 and 18 of Deuteronomy 8. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you are to remember the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So yes, you may have worked hard for what you got, but who gave you the power? Who gave you the health? Who gave you the skills? Who gave you the opportunity, right? What do you have that you have not received? The apostle Paul asked the people of Corinth at one point. Then the... Uh, the apostle says these, uh, uh, Moses says these things. This is Deuteronomy 8, 11, 
verse 14 and verses 19 through 20. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see, the Lord said he's getting rid of the people that were in the land because of their egregious sin the wickedness that they were participating in. And he said, now, don't follow them or you will follow them out of the land. And indeed, as we go through the Holy History, we're going to find that's exactly what happened. So here's some application for you, right? Um, This is a series of questions, and I really want you to answer these questions in your own heart and mind. Have you come to a time in your life where some of your hopes and dreams have come true? Perhaps you are married. You have beautiful children. You have a house, you have nice things, a good career, and that helps pay for it all. Who gets the credit for that? Do you remember who brought you this far? Do you still run with the one that brung you? That's the question. Or are you so caught up in the daily maintenance of making and keeping your best life now that you neglect the Lord? Now, these are serious questions. I believe this message is for this congregation, but this message goes beyond this. And certainly there are those that will have the opportunity to see this later online. But this is a problem with Christians in our nation and has been for some time that we get so satisfied in the the gifts that we turn away from the giver. So who gets the credit for what you've worked for? I really want you to answer that question in your heart. Who gets the credit for what you've worked for? Do you give the Lord the credit? Or do you take the credit? The scripture says, every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. Your spouse, your your children, your house, your job, the money that you have to put food on your table, those are good and perfect gifts that yes, you've worked for, but so Israel worked to get the promised land. They had to fight to get that territory, but they couldn't have won without the Lord. And you will not move forward in any meaningful way, nor will you succeed in any way that will last beyond this life if you don't follow Jesus. And again, I'm just going to warn you, switching metaphors here from the battle metaphor um, to an athletic one, you're running a race, and it's an endurance race. It's not a sprint, all right? A lot of you have kids. Have you ever run with children? Man, they want to run ahead of you right away, don't they? but they don't want to keep running, all right? So I, I do karate club on Tuesdays, and sometimes we, we run in a circle around the, the floor upstairs. And man, when we get started, they're busy. They want it. They love it. They're, you know, I, I, they don't respond with enough energy. So I'm like, oh, we're going to run. And they're like, yeah, we want to run. That's fine, unless we keep running. And then it's like, you know, they're, 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 they're sagging, they're flagging, they want to sit down and so forth. Have you ever worked alongside a teenager? Oh, they'll work for about 30 minutes or maybe an hour, and then they don't want to work anymore, right? Some of you employ teenagers or 20-somethings, and you know how this works. But see, life is an endurance race, and those of you that, uh, you know, are the heads of families, and those of you that have to work these jobs, some of the jobs that you work, you don't necessarily enjoy all the time. You realize that this is an endurance race. You have to keep running, 
It's, you know, it's, it's a marathon. More than that, it's an ultra marathon. And you've just got to keep up the pace. The good news is that if you have this relationship with Jesus, right, um, he says that he will give you new strength, that you will mount up with wings as eagles, that you will run and not grow weary, that you will not, that you will walk and not become faint. We can again and again receive that second wind and third wind and fourth wind and that fresh breath and that new energy to continue moving on, right? Um, are you grateful to God for your life or do you doubt his goodness and care for you? You see, Sometimes we get to the end of the rainbow and we find that the gold is not there, right? Sometimes we get all the things that we thought we wanted and we asked for and we discover it's just more work. And they're wonderful things and your kids are wonderful and your job, you know, is helping you to, to do all that, but it's, it's hard work. And if you focus down on the minutia and the details and the daily grind, it can grind you into powder, that's why I'm saying, friends, we've got to abide in Christ. We've got to look our, we've got to look above and beyond all of this. Listen, this is all wonderful stuff, but the city that we're looking for is not here on earth. It is going to descend from heaven to earth. Our promised land is not what we have now. Yes, you have the house and you have the family and you've got the kids and you've got the job and you've got the nice things, but that's really not the promised land. There's a hint of that. Man, I, you know, I look at your kids and they're, they're so cool. They're so interesting. They're so wonderful. And I don't want to take them home because I know you work so hard with them. <laughs> I, I know you do. They're just incredible. They really are. They're incredible. Okay. Um, but you and I know that it's like sometimes you're like, you know, your, your kid is just really not acting all that beautiful and incredible. Right. And, you know, there could be that little, you know, niggle on the side of your head that's like, why did I have this kid, right? I said, Pastor D, how dare you say that? Hey, man, I know these questions happen, all right? We have to be grateful to God for what he's given us, for everything that he's given us. That's worship, right? When it says, when it says choose this day whom you will serve, it means who, who will you worship? See, we serve ourselves much of the time. We, we essentially worship self. We worship the image in the mirror too often. Next question, have you become disappointed in your marriage, your home, your career, even your children? Man, we can be, become disappointed with God. I remember there's a, an author by the name of Philip Yancey that wrote a book, oh, I bet it's been 20, 25 years ago now, called Disappointment with God. You can become disappointed with everything and you will be disappointed with this life and the things in this life, inevitably, because you were made for more. You were made for the next life. And I was listening to Pastor Craig say this this morning, and man, I wish more of you would come to his Bible study, but it's online. Uh, we put it on, if you go to the, the YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash lifewelld. Our church is named Lifewell with D on the end, okay? Then you can find it right there. Um, it's there, but you know, he, he, uh, he praised his wife as he often does. And, uh, and he should, because Craig would be a punk without Rachel. This is the truth. He would admit it, all right? She keeps him straight, all right? Um, but he praised his wife, and, but then he said, but she would make a horrible God. If you've made your spouse the most important person in your life, you're going to crush them with those expectations that you have. They can't handle it. They can't live up to your expectations or live down to them, depending on how you uh, offer those things, 
right? But if the two of you, what I say uh, when I counsel couples that I'm going to officiate their wedding, if the two of you think of an equilateral triangle with the bottom here, okay? Husband, wife, God. What happens when the husband and wife both move closer to God? Yeah, they move closer to each other. Conversely, conversely, let's say the husband is moving closer to God and the wife is moving further away, or the wife is moving closer to God and the husband's moving further away. What happens? They move further from each other. There can even be resentment that is there. Listen, we have to, each one of us, and we have to teach our children to put our complete attention, our focus, and our commitment on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you turning away from Jesus and his word to follow the world? And this might not be anything horrible or sinful. It can just be the mundane distractions of life, right? Listen to what the Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Wow. And he says that everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. Amen? That's what we need to press on to do and to be. Right? So the bigger question then, and, and this is a question I'm asking all along, is who has your heart? Who has your heart? I hope your spouse has your heart. I hope your children have your heart. But see, in the end, won't we, don't we say that we invite who to come into our heart? Jesus. And Jesus has to be our supreme love above all others. And when we order Jesus Christ above all other loves, those other loves come into focus and into line, and everything works out well in accordance with God's plan. So who has your heart? Have you left your first love? Did you ever, have you ever committed your life to Christ? I'm not going to get a, a hands raised here, but have you ever dedicated your life to Jesus? Have you ever done that? Or have you just been muddling along? Kind of, meh, well, you know, I've, I go to church. Have you ever come to that point in your life, to that time in your life where you bowed the knee, metaphorically or literally, but literally called out to the name of the Lord to be saved? You said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I give my heart to you. Save me. Have you done that? You see, it's interesting because I, I mentioned that, uh, that that's something that I did when I was 16 years old, but there have been periods in my life where I have needed to rededicate my life to Jesus. I just saw that I'd been drifting further and further away from him, either in distraction or apathy and indifference or, you know, chasing other things other than the Lord. And believe it or not, ministry can be an idol. Church can be an idol. The word of God is important, but the Bible can become an idol, right? Your family is important, but your family can become an idol. Anything that stands between you and God becomes an idol. And I've had times in my life where I've had to rededicate my life, and I could go into details, but it hasn't just been once. Periodically, the Lord drives me to my knees and says, am I the most important person in your life or not? If not, what is? Who is? 
well, I just need to push all that out of the way and rededicate my life to Christ. And I remember in the church where I got uh, saved, um, they had a time of invitation. Now, at the end of our service, we'll have a time of prayer. And I hope you'll take advantage of that if you would like to. But uh, it, in the church that, where I grew up and many churches like it, that, that walking the aisle was symbolic of dedication to Christ. And that's really what I had to do initially to finally seal the deal and say, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be saved. I had to walk that aisle. That was a big deal for me because this was a huge church and it was on television and I was scared. But I knew that I had to publicly commit my life to Christ to seal the deal and to make it real. And I did. Easter Sunday, 1978. Been a long time ago now. But that's what happened. And throughout uh, my, my walk with the Lord, there have been times when I have rededicated my life and have needed to do so. Well, I want you to see that Once Joshua led the people into the land and they fought and took the land, he led them to a place where he asked them to rededicate themselves to the Lord, right? Um, Joshua was old and he was ready to die and he gave them this ultimatum. Who will you serve? Choose you this day whom you will serve. This is Joshua 24, 14 through 15, I'll read it from the NIV. This is my NASB, but I'll read it from the NIV here. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve, excuse me, Yahweh, serve the Lord. But if serving Yahweh seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So I'm calling you, Lifewell Church, at this juncture in time. We've fought. We've been through a lot together. But I think we've come to a time where all of us need to seriously look at our lives and ask, is Jesus Lord? Is he really the one in charge of my life, or do I just give that lip service? I want you to be determined to make a decision and choose today whom you will serve. I'm not even telling you to choose Jesus, although that's the wisest choice you could possibly make. But I am saying you need to admit to yourself who you serve or what you serve. And if you are wise, like the people of Israel, you will choose to serve the Lord. We serve a lot of things, faith, money, career, politics, self, and hopefully some of us, Jesus Christ. You need to understand that your choice, although it is your choice, has serious consequences. It has consequences for you. It has consequences for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, and it has grave consequences for this church. If you choose the world, you fall under the power of the God of this age. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, that's what Satan is called. And he is also called the prince of the power of the air. That's Ephesians 2.2. 2. And he will steal all that you have. You think that you're going to grab hold of all of this stuff and hang on to it. But the reality is through spiritual erosion, you'll lose it all. Or through catastrophic uh, in- instances, you will lose it all. I'm seeing this happen again and again with people who have turned their back on the Lord, turned their back on his people. 
They are losing their families. They're losing their spouses. They're losing what they once had. And, you know, I I don't want to give examples or names, but there are people that you know and you are well aware of or will become aware of who are turning their backs on what God has given to them. This has serious consequences, right? Um, The people of Israel said they would serve the Lord. Let me read this from the NASB and continue on with the, uh, the surrounding context. Now, therefore, Joshua said, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and do away with the gods which your father served beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites, those are the people that they just kicked out of the land, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I choose to commit my life to Jesus again today. Amen? I don't want to do anything else. Now, I've told the Lord, we've gone through all sorts of challenges in this church, and, you know, inevitably it's, it's some sort of a financial challenge. And I've told the Lord, just give me another job, Lord, I'm fine. I'll do this for free. I won't have time to do all this other stuff during the week. I won't be able to do Tuesday and Wednesday Bible study and Thursday drama and all this other stuff. But I'll come up here and preach on Sundays and we'll do what we got to do. Just give me another job. I really don't care. And I really don't care. I want to serve the Lord. Amen. Now, I believe God has called me to do this. And this is what I do. You may like the way I do it or you may not like the way I do it. But this is what I've been called to do. You have been called to do something as well but it is to be for the Lord and not for yourself. It is to be for the Lord and not just for you and yours. So the people responded. This is verse 16. The people answered and said, far be it from us that we would abandon Yahweh to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, Yahweh our God, is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the land of slaves and did these great signs in our sight and watched over us through all the way which we went and among all the peoples and through through the midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Amen? They had just fought and taken the land and yet Joshua is saying, recommit your life to Jesus. Recommit your life to Yahweh. Jesus hadn't come yet. Today, I know you fought battles. I know you're still fighting battles and you may still cling to a profession of faith, a confession of faith, uh, some sort of decision or dedication that you made in the past. But as I officially before you commit my life to Jesus today, I call upon you life. Well, church, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. There are great benefits to that. The Joshua generation, as we just read, that's what I like to call them. The Joshua generation chose to serve the Lord. And as the result, as long as those people lived, they were fruitful. They were successful. But as we're going to discover, because we're going to move from Joshua into Judges, and buddy, oh, you better hang on. Judges is some wild and woolly stuff. Because once the Joshua generation died, their children turned away from the Lord. 
And in Judges it says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. And that's what is happening in the United States of America today. Every one of us just does what is right in his own eyes. This is my truth and your truth. Well, that's what you feel. That's what you think. That's what you believe. Yes, but that doesn't mean it's not true. That doesn't mean it's not true for you too. You see, truth is true because it proceeds from God. And truth does not change because God is immutable and God doesn't change. So it is imperative that I hang on to the truth. And then no matter how things shift and change in the world around us, no matter whether the culture says, well, you're on the wrong side of history, I want to be on the right side of eternity. You see, I'm getting old. I know I don't look it. Actually, I do. <laughs> That's what was great on my birthday, right? You know, Craig was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and y'all gave me this wonderful gift and all this. And, and I said something about, you know, being old. And he goes, no, you are old. You look old. I was like, oh, that's great. Okay. But when you're younger, you always look forward. You know, everything is in the future. Oh, well, in the future this and in the future that and in the future this. And you get older and you're like, oh, there's not much future left. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I haven't even checked whether I won or not. Periodically, I, I'm sorry, if you think this is a sin, then you'll go to another church. But I, periodically, I will buy a lottery ticket and, you know, and I, I buy a $1 Texas lotto ticket. So I went and bought one. And so I almost always just say, hey, just give me a ticket. And they give you the, you know, the cash version, which by the way, whatever it says, that's not what you would get if you would win. You get about two thirds of that because it's annuitized, yada, yada. But I started looking at this and I was like, well, what if I got the, you know, the yearly payments? They pay it out over 30 years. I'm looking at my life and I'm like, I might be dead by then. <laughs> Like 30 years, who's going to get the rest of this money? And y'all are like, yeah, me. I'm young. Put me in your will, Pastor Daryl. Well, that assumes that I would win. But nonetheless, however, when you live for eternity, amen, the older I get, the closer I am to crossing over to the other side and actually finding what I was created for. That's what your whole life is supposed to be about down here, getting ready for eternity, and you are going to go. However you feel, whatever you think, whatever your situation, it is appointed for everyone once to die, and then comes judgment. It is imperative that we prepare ourselves in this life for that eventuality. All right? Because that is an appointment you will not be late for. It is appointed for everyone wants to die and then comes judgment and you will be on time for that appointment. So get ready now, no matter how young you are, how many years you think you've got, the reality is you don't know how many years you've got. So let's be ready. Let's live our lives for Jesus. Let's stop living our lives for self. All right. This world is just driving us mad. But the scripture says, and I've counted on this a number of times, when I've been so stressed, when I've been so anxious, when I've been so uncertain. It's Isaiah 26, I believe, verse 3. And it says, he will keep the one in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Amen? See, I don't know where the money is going to come from. I don't know what the future holds. I'm still waiting for God to tell us how long we're going to be in this building. We're here as long as he wants us here, but he hasn't shown me any other place for us to go. So we're going to be here as long as he wants us here, in spite of the fact that they are tearing that up out there. It's terrible. 
but it's going to be a park when it's done. It's going to be beautiful, but I don't know. And that drives me crazy. I want to know. I want the five-year plan. I want the 10-year plan. I want the 15-year plan. But I just trust the Lord. I just trust the Lord. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? It will keep you sane. It will bring you peace, that trust in the Lord, because he's a good and loving God. So choose wisely today, friend. Only Jesus gives eternal, abundant life. What does the scripture say? Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come to give you, NLT, New Living Translation says, a rich and satisfying life. Yeah, your best life now? Okay, okay. As long as you don't think it's your only life. Jesus will give you your best life now. But if you turn to the world... Man, he will steal, and he will kill, and he will destroy. Have you guys ever heard the legend about Robert Johnson? Do you even know who Robert Johnson is? Who knows who Robert Johnson is? Oh, you don't know. So I'm going to tell you this legend, and it'll be irrelevant. Robert Johnson was a blues musician, and he is still widely regarded as one of the greatest blues players of all time. But he only lived until he was about 26, I think. But the reason I talk about Robert Johnson is because there was this legend that he stood at the crossroads. Do you know the legend? And sold his soul to the devil. Maybe he did. And the devil took it. Listen, man, when you listen to the lies of the enemy, you may get a lot of abundance for a short period of time, but the devil is going to rip it all back and rip it all away from you. I heard a youth preacher say many, many years ago, this is, I think, still when I was a youth, that at the devil's amusement park, it's free to get in. It's free. You get in for free. But it'll cost you your life to get out. So be careful who you serve. Be careful what you serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.